Welcome to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development. And by that, we mean physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, so parents and other caregivers can empower children to thrive. Well, today we have an all-star playroom segment, and we're going to be talking about literature and stories, actually really fables in particular that can be very helpful for developing social-emotional skills, moral skills, problem-solving skills, and such in children. And we have as our guest today the award-winning author Mark Clark, and he's going to talk to us about his book called The Princess Fables, and he has a few of his other writings we're going to talk about today, too. And um, what I like about the talk we're going to have today is that Mark's going to share his experiences also as a father and kind of the mission he had to empower his daughter to become a capable and competent young woman uh, and child at the time by learning really important lessons like being um, devoted and trustful and having courage. And he did that through the stories that he told her as she was a child. So on that note, we'll we'll welcome Mark. Are you there? Welcome. I am, Dr. T. How are you? Thank you. <laughs> I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm doing well. So um, let's I start off by telling Dr. T. You could doc, Teresa's fine. Teresa works just well. <laughs> Does Dr. T work well for the name of the show? But uh, Teresa's fine. And uh, let's start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you, your journey maybe on how you became an author. Um, well, I I was originally uh, started off in my life being a, a, an actor and studying acting. But a lot of the schools that I went to taught screenwriting as well. Um, so I got to work with or screenwriting and playwriting mostly. Um, so I got to work with playwrights and uh, realized that I had some kind of talent at least for writing dialogue and stories. And um, I originally wrote plays um, when I was in my late teens and 20s. And then I started writing screenplays. And I think as I told people and uh, about screenplays and plays, as you pitch them and stuff, you end up being more of a storyteller. And I remember telling like kids, like family, like at family like gatherings or something like that. I would tell them a story of the movie that I was writing at the time, and so I found myself um, comfortable being a storyteller. So when my when I had kids, um, it just felt natural for me to do that. I would tell my children stories all the time. And I would just make them up. Um, I started with my son, whenever he would have a, a sleepover party out in the backyard or something, or sleep in tents for his birthday or something, I would go out and make up, they'd say, tell me a story, and I would make up a story about all the kids who were staying the night, and they went on an adventure up in the sky or something like that, or, or something like that, and I'd include everybody who was there as a character in the story. And, okay, uh, so you I, have, go ahead. No, that's good. Okay, so you have some nice background as a storyteller, and you've honed those skills over the years and eventually came to write The Princess Fables. So tell us a little bit more about how that came about, that you came to write these wonderful well, that, that stories. That was a much longer process. I, I used to tell my daughter stories a lot, um, and I tried to include princesses and in everything so that she would listen better, um, or at least a character who was very much like her, getting lost in the woods, and they seemed to have more fables to them. And there was a point where um, she uh, was 
she finished kindergarten and she was just starting first grade. Um, she came home from school the first day and she was really sad. And it was such a surprise because she was one of the happiest children you've ever met. And um, I said, Taylor, what's wrong? You, I thought you would love school. You loved kindergarten. You loved being around other kids. And you, and you usually love your teachers. And she said, yes, but they're making me learn all day. And she started crying. And so I felt so bad for her that when I would go and wake her up in the morning, um, I'd say, come on, Taylor, it's time to get up. You have to go to school. And she'd say, no. I'd go, huh? Did I ever tell you the story of the princess who always said no? She got no. And so I would make up a story about a princess who said no all the time. And then maybe the next day I'd go in and she, I'd say, come on, Taylor, it's time to wake up. And she'd hide under the covers. And I'd go, Taylor, did I ever tell you the story of the princess who hid under the covers? And she'd say, no. And so I'd make up another story about another princess who hid under the covers sometimes. And usually by the time I'd finish a story, she was, she forgot that she didn't like going to school and I'd have her dressed or eaten or ready to go and stuff and she'd forget and she'd be happy. And so these are all stories that uh, came out of that idea. Um, the idea that she didn't want to do something. So whatever it was, whether uh, it was the princess who always said, I don't want to, or the princess who was always scared or the um, anything like that. So that's where all the titles came from and the ideas of the stories came from because I, I didn't really write them down for another 10 years or so. Um, so I had to go back and try to remember what I used to tell her. But it was all right. So you you had um, you you used the fables as a tool, really. It's a nice vehicle to help her through something she was grappling with, with a challenge she was facing at the time. Um, maybe can you give us um, a little bit of a deeper synopsis of one of the fables in your book so the audience can see a little picture? Um, sure, I'd love to. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the book um, is called The Princess Who Never Let Go. And she's kind of um, a hoarder princess. So she was given, uh, she was so happy to get uh, presents when she was little that her father kept giving her more and more things and she just treasured everything and wouldn't let any of it out of her sight, so much so that she would keep it in storage, all of her toys and all of her presents and every gift she ever gave. And she had a servant who like kept um, a list of all of the things that she had so she'd always know where everything is. Um, and what happened in the story is that the castle got so filled up with all of her things that they were all in all the storage rooms and all the stables and hidden away everywhere, that finally the king put down his foot and said, no more gifts, you don't get any more. But the queen, you know, she went crazy, the princess went crazy and, um, like, threw a tantrum. And the queen said, well, let's come up with a compromise. How about she has one more birthday with, um, where she can have gifts and she can keep anything that she can have in her room. Whatever she can keep in her room, what'll sit in her room, she can keep, and everything else um, she'll have to give away or something. And so everybody agreed to that. And what happened on her birthday is she got so many gifts that her room was filled up within a few minutes. And so her servant, who kept track of all of her presents for her, said, well, I have a great idea. Why don't you 
um, have the people who are all waiting outside to celebrate your birthday, all the um, common people, why don't you let some of those children keep the rest of your gifts until you can find a place to store them or until you need them? She goes, oh, that's a great idea. But once she started to give them out to children, she saw how excited and thrilled they all were to get a gift, even though it was just temporary, that it kind of broke her heart to see that so many people had so little and she had so much. And she decided that she would give away all of her presents and that from on every birthday from then on that she would celebrate it by collecting all of her gifts and giving them away to people who needed them. So it's just a, a nice, I thought, way of um, a young girl learning, to, you know, what it's what it means to be unselfish. Yeah, that is a that's an important lesson, and I think a beautiful way of expressing it and showing children that um, uh, how nice it is to share uh, and how important sometimes. Um, it is. Yeah, nice. I imagine. Um, mm-hmm? There are times where. Um, you know, especially, I think, around the holidays, um, you try to stress with your children that giving is is a bigger part of it than, than receiving. Um, but that doesn't always get through. But luckily, there's times where you can help others, where you can, like, go and donate things, where you can go and um, help other people. And there's lots of programs where you can do that. And what I've seen from children, and I learned from myself a long time ago, is that you tend to want to give away something when you give a gift or donate something. You tend to want to be recognized for that. And it's a greater accomplishment, I think, for a child to realize that you give away something because it helps somebody else, not because you get recognition for it or you get something back from it. I think that's right. a nice, important lesson to learn as well. Right, right. That is a great lesson. And actually, you do a lot of wonderful things in giving to the community. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute because I want to just stay on, on the princess fables a bit. Um, but maybe um, talk about your vision that you have for this, um, for the stories, for the book, and maybe even a franchise if you want to call it that. Oh, well, sure. Um, people keep asking me if um, if all I'm going to write is about prince and princesses. And so far, I think that's what I'm going to do. Um, it seems like, an, um, commercially speaking, that it's a nice way to brand things. That you know, The reason I told the stories um, and included a princess is because there's a certain age of young girls especially where they're obsessed with princesses. They like to dress. They want to go to school dressed as princesses and go to the store all the time and wear tiaras and stuff. So it's a way of reaching them and getting them to listen where they normally may not. You know, you don't know if they'll be excited about each character that you might come up with, but they will be excited if it's a princess. So um, I do stay with that, and I think so far at least um, there's almost no end to how many stories and how many things you can learn and how many things a prince or a princess um, as a child won't do or a bad habit that they might get into. 
So um, it seems like an endless supply of stories, or at least for me, I haven't run out of any ideas. And I have another, um, you know, I wrote a second and third book, and I have another book in the making, um, and I've got at least a dozen ideas uh, fleshed out for those. So ultimately, we'd love it to be um, something that lasts forever, that stories that, you know, a whole library of stories that girls can have and boys too, because boys also enjoy the stories. So, because I read across the country in elementary schools all the time, and they enjoy it and they buy the book as well. Um, and I'm starting to write print stories too, so that that they feel a little more included. But we want it to be, you know, something that's for every child, you know, a part of their growing up in a way of connecting with their parents or their caregivers. Um, because they're great, they are written to be stories for somebody to tell. Um, so they lend themselves to that, and they make that makes it so much more, so much more, so much better for a, a listening pleasure. And and they are great books for and great stories for first readers too. They start, you know, they can somebody I think they can identify with who starts off at least young and has problems just like do they do and learns just like they do. So ultimately, we'd love it to be a franchise. We'd love it to, you know, make it make its way into television or film, and you know, have products that go along with it and stuff like that. So, well, I uh, there's no end to um, how large I think it could be, um, you know. But we're just at the beginning of it. So mostly, what I do is write and try to get the stories out to everybody I can. Yeah, you had you had mentioned about. Um lessons to be learned and that's what you're doing through your stories and it just reminds me that maybe we should clarify um, you know what fables are and, and why you selected that format um, for story writing is there anything you might want to add to that well I, that's exactly right I do this uh, I go around the country and read to elementary school children and um, when I explain how I came up with this um, that that I came up with them as fables, and I asked them, do they know what a fable is? And, and for the most part, most of, a lot of them do. Um, a fable is, for those who don't know, is a, a, a story that has a moral to it or a, or a lesson to it. Nothing, a simple idea or about how you can be a better person or how you can change a bad habit or just a little bit of a learning experience. Um, and I like the framework of that because it, it makes for good storytelling, and it reminds me of the fables and fairy tales that I listened to and read about when I was younger. So, I did the same thing with uh, with my illustrations for the for the um, for the princess fables. The, I found an illustrator's name is Eric Hosford, who um, I saw some of his sketches and work, and I thought he could really embody some of the beautiful. Um, Drawings that I remember when I when I read fairy tales and, and fables, with things around the turn of the last century that were um, yeah, Max Parrish looking. Walter Crane is really the artist that 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 I that I gave him in order to like go. Here's the look and the feel that I that I that I want to reconstruct, and uh, he did uh, an amazing job. The illustrator he actually won the award. For uh, best illustration of a children's book from the, um, this year, 
from the Global eBook Awards. So we were really proud of that and proud of his work. Oh, they were the works that's of fantastic. Yeah, so um, you have an award-winning author and an award-winning illustrator working together, and you really do create a, a beautiful story format. And with your words, you certainly paint nice pictures, some vivid pictures that help children maintain attention, and, and um, especially because you're also talking about issues that they can relate to. Um, but it isn't a picture book. Um, so and our our audience for the most part or our target audience are families of children birth to five and I still see this as fitting very well with that population but let's talk about who you think the ideal audience is um, for the princess fables Um, well I feel like the pre-k audience is is exactly right for it since I stuck I made up made up these stories for my daughter who was about six at the time Um, but uh, I, you know, I as I said, I read in um, elementary school, so I do kindergarten through fifth or sixth grade, and I fashion the stories slightly different for the younger kids because they're in a classroom and they're much more fidgety. But when they're three to five, um, it's what I try to do with the language um, is illustrate for them. So that they start to use their imagination more than a picture of showing this means this. So you try to. I always feel like um, in movies and books and even television, I feel like the things that I'm always attracted to, the things that I think are the best, uh, are are stories that take you into another world that you didn't know, to give you an experience that you didn't haven't had. And that's what I try to emulate. I try to take children somewhere they haven't been before. And when you do, they're more open to accepting things and they're more open to listening and learning because they're exploring something they've never seen before. So I feel like that's something for for the for younger audience. And it also, because they are stories and they're written as I would tell my daughter. They actually have a voice to them. So it it really helps connect uh, a parent or a guardian or a caregiver of some kind with the child because they're sharing that moment. Those are things that I, I thought were some of the most treasured when my children were growing up is lying in bed with them and reading a story to them. You know, it's nice that they have pictures every once in a while, but they'll just listen to you and they'll just snuggle up and you can take them anywhere. And that's, that's really that's so, Yeah, and that's so important. Um, and it just made me think I saw um, somebody posted on LinkedIn or Facebook the other day that children spell love, T-I-M-E. So it's really about the time that you spend with your children um, that is such a critical part, and being able to, yeah, sit down with them, read them a story before bedtime. It is a nice way also to help them relax and wind down so they can get ready to go to sleep. Um, and it, it's it's a wonderful, important thing uh, that parents can do, and I think The Princess Fables is a nice vehicle uh, to use to teach lessons while you're also making that connection. 
So maybe you can talk to the audience a bit about feedback you've gotten from families, maybe from the teachers, from the schools that you've read in um, about the stories, um, and if you can um, especially talk about for the younger children, those children five and under, um, their specific feedback that you might have gotten. That would be great. Uh, well, um, thanks. Um, I'm really lucky because uh, my second favorite thing to do um, after writing these stories is to get to read them to young children. Um, and the feedback I get is just great because I spend a lot of time talking about writing um, before and after, and they get to ask questions as well. So they give me feedback right away. And they also, because I'm in school, a lot of times the teachers will sit with them afterwards and they'll write me like letters and stuff and thank you letters. So it's pretty amazing to get a whole envelope full of like 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 letters from little kids when they do drawings for me and they, um, they'll give me ideas for other prince and princesses stories that I can write. Um, one of my favorites is uh, the, the princess who married George Washington. So <laughs> they're like, you have no idea what they're going to come up with. Um, it's really nice because I get to see, with, especially with younger kids, they have no filter as far as um, behavior and how they're supposed to react to things because they are not in social situations. So this is particularly with with very little children, they'll actually gasp or or be in shock, you know, while you're telling the story. You know, they'll they'll be worried about people or they'll put their fingers in their mouth because they're scared that something's gonna happen. So that that's one of the more amazing things. It's not I guess it's not a, a, a written react uh, uh, response or um, but I can tell, I get to see their faces and I get to see what happens to them emotionally and physically because they just don't care if anybody sees how they feel. Um, right. So with younger kids, and it's so, it's so great to be able to see. Then also you get to an end. My, one of my favorite things is that um, there's a couple of stories where there's a kiss involved or where there's some love involved or something at the end or the princess falls in love or something. And... There, a lot of kids will go me, will tell me, uh, "That was a great story, except for the mushy part in the end." <laughs> <laughs> I, I think see. I'd have, yeah. I was going to say, I think I have to argue that that feedback, their reactions, the looks on their faces, those comments—that's probably the most powerful feedback that you can it get. Really um, and I think so. it shows that you're you're writing good stories and you're telling good messages, and it's really resonating with your audience. Exactly. I actually, I, I have teachers who, uh, I have some great teachers that I work with all the time, and I've been back to their schools two or three times. And so um, I, I might send them a story to see what they think before I've actually published it um, to get some feedback from, from them since they're such a strong audience for me. And I'll, if there's any kissing involved, they'll go, can you just get rid of the kissing part? That's just the worst thing. If you get rid of that, <laughs> it'll be a great And uh, I'll ask the teachers, I'll ask the teachers to go, well, do you really think I should, like, maybe lose that? And they say, no, I think third graders just like to say, ooh, and whenever you have kissing 
or they'll say, no, my students like, you know, like to go, ah, and like scream and stuff if you do something that's not right or something that's gross to them. So. Right. Right. Um, so we we talked a little bit earlier, um, and I wanted to come back to it, about um, you had mentioned with the story of the princess who never let go and how when she did give, she saw the beauty in it. Um, and you do a lot of giving back to the community. So let's talk about the community outreach that you do. Um, uh, we, we've you've spoken a little bit about reading to schools. Maybe go on there. Um, uh-huh. And um, you had mentioned uh, we had talked offline before about the royal fables. Let's let's tell the audience about that. Oh sure. Um, well, I'm really lucky, uh, uh, and I, I I said this already. Well, this is my second favorite thing to do, and I'm lucky that I get to do it. We make a point of doing it at least once a month, and I would like to do it once a week if I could. Is going and reading in elementary schools around the country. Um, and it's story times, and uh, we also go to hospitals, and, and I'll read to children there. So anytime I can get, you know, a bunch of kids together uh, who'd like to hear, I'll go and read for them. I never charge money. Um, we make an effort to go to try to go to a new city once a month and find schools and hospitals and libraries, um, and I guess even churches. I have, although I haven't done them yet, but somebody suggested that the nice thing to do that they have, you know, read to a congregation or to a Sunday school class or something. Um, So I do that all the time. I've I've visited over 5,000 children now in the last, say, six months or so. So I do that continually. I don't charge for that. So I feel like that's giving back a little bit because I do talk to them about writing and, and their writing and um, how they come up with ideas and how they work with artists and doing drawings and, and things like that. And as you mentioned, The Royal Fables, which is my second book, the full title of it is The Royal Fables, Stories from the Princes and Princesses at the Texas Children's Hospital. And Texas Children's Hospital is based in Houston and it's the larger pediatric cancer uh, research hospital in the country. Um, and my publicist is on a foundation that supports the hospital and supports uh, pediatric brain cancer research. So early on in our, uh, when we were talking about building our social media um, presence, she said, you're going to have to tweet every day and write on Facebook every day. And I said, you know, I don't really uh, want to write just stuff. I don't want to talk about the weather or what my day is or what I'm eating. Let's find something that's important. Let's find something that's uh, where we give back, where we have something to say so that when we go and talk about something, we go, there's a reason for it and there's a reason for people to listen. And so she came up with the idea of um, visiting a hospital and, and having kids come up with stories. So that's what we did. We went to uh, Texas Children's Hospital and we spoke to children in their cancer centers, and they gave us a bunch of ideas about prince or princess stories, and uh, we chose five of them, and I wrote the stories based on their ideas. So they might come up, they came up with a title, The Princess Who Loved Wildflowers, and I wrote a story based on that title, and another one came up with The Prince Who Never Cut His Hair, and The Prince Who Never Cleaned His Room, and The 
princess who is too demanding, and the last one is the princess who is very, very organized. And I wrote stories based on each of those titles. And then we gave the stories to uh, back to children at the hospital and their friends and families and schools nearby, and um, and they did the drawings for the for the book. And so we launched it on October 23rd, and all of the proceeds um, from the sale of the book go to the Ready or Not Foundation, which um, has a matching grant. Um, so every dollar that we collect is doubled, and it all goes to pediatric cancer, uh, brain cancer research at the hospital. That's fantastic. So it's benefiting Texas Children's Hospital through the Ready or Not Foundation? That's correct. Yeah, that's really fantastic. Really fantastic. Um, and just going on the theme of, of children who may have different types of needs, I know you have another story that's Christmas-based. Um, maybe you can talk to the audience about that a little bit. Oh, sure. Uh, I, was, uh, I, I don't know how this came about. Um, somebody said, oh, you should write a Christmas story. Go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let me just write that down. Because um, uh, a lot of people, for some reason, think that if you're a writer, you can just like write anything. Um, and somehow it turns out I can, which surprises even me. I, I just thought, well, you know, it would be nice to come up with a, a story for Christmas, and maybe if I can come up with something, then I could write it and we would give it away for free um, if, with people who could buy um, the royal fables or even the princess fables. And I did come up with an idea and wrote the story really fast, like in a few days. And... Then I searched and found a, an illustrator, not not Eric, who did the original drawings, um, another illustrator who could do drawings in like a week. So we published it pretty much in, in 10 days. I wrote it, illustrated it, and published it in 10 days. Um, and by the time I was done, everybody involved, my editor and um, the teachers that I sent it to and my publicist, all said, uh, we think this is too good just to give away, so let's just publish it and sell it. And I went, okay. So we made it as an e-book, and it came out on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, it's called The Prince and Princess of Christmas. Um, and it's really a story about two people who should never get along, both a prince and a princess from different countries. And the princess, um, is a, her kingdom is... Uh, a poor kingdom, and so she has uh, something against anybody who's wealthy. And the prince comes from a richer country, and he actually was born uh, handicapped. Um, he, was, he, wouldn't, he wasn't able to walk. And he, when he was out among the people one day, he just got mocked and made fun of. And so he has... Um, a real distaste for poor people because he thought that it, any poor people would make fun of him. Um, so they are, they, their fathers agree to have the two of them marry. So it's two people who really don't like each other and don't like what each other stands for and they're going to have to find a way to get together. And it happens, they're, they get married, they're supposed to get married on Christmas Day 
and they meet for the first time on Christmas Eve and what happens to them on Christmas Eve and the adventures they go on and what where they go together and how they find um, a way to connect. Maybe find common ground despite their differences and learn how to work together. <laughs> I think that would probably benefit a lot of adults these days too, I might argue. Well, I thought about it too, um, like even in... I, Maybe it was just coming out of the elections and stuff, so I was thinking of it politically. That a lot of times we're on the opposite sides of the fence. That you know, people, you know, that there's a, a rich and a poor, or there's you know, a well-to-do and not well-to-do, and they don't see eye to eye, and they don't, they tend not to even like each other, but mostly because they haven't been put together, and they haven't um, had to work together, and. They haven't had to find a common ground and a common cause. So and and really get to and and really get to know that other person. Um, right. I might add. Yes, you tend to um, you you think of people as stereotypes and you don't know them, so you it's not right to like judge somebody on on their outward appearance or their or what you think their beliefs are. Yeah, yeah, that's very powerful. <laughs> that's a very powerful and important message. Um, yeah, so, mm-hmm, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to say a lot of my stories now. In the princess fables, they were much more for. Um, they were stories that I told my daughter, so they were much more geared toward her at that age. And the and the stories in the royal fables and in the Christmas story, um, I think have moved in another kind of direction because there there are princes involved and they boys tend to seem to want more adventure or at least just having a character of a prince in there I tend to to write more adventure in it so there's a lot more going on there's a lot more visuals and cinematic kind of things going on in the second two books I, I, I feel like they you know the prince and princess in the Christmas story you know, they go off on an adventure together and they have to work with each other and that that tends to build relationships as well. So it's not only, I think, visually and um, adventure-wise a little more exciting, um, but it's different having one person learn a lesson than it is having two. Yeah. So what um, what is something that you wish the public knew more about the princess fables that we might not have touched upon already? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I'm writing more books, so um, the the next book that I'm writing, well, I'm writing a bunch more prince and princess stories, and we may even, if we can find, if Eric can. Uh, draw faster, or if we can find another illustrator that we think is uh, up to his caliber, then I'd kind of like to release a, a story every month that maybe um, it's an idea that we're playing around with anyway, that people could like subscribe to it and get a new story once a month as an e-book, and then maybe at the end of the year compile it into a book. Um, oh, that's great. So that makes for a lot of work and a lot of um, promoting and stuff too, but uh, we thought that might be a nice idea because it seems. Uh, yes, you going to say something? Yeah, so that's and, and a lot of opportunities 
uh, for people to look out for, for great stories down the pike uh, that will teach good lessons that are lessons and on topics that resonate with young children. So you are doing a lot, and if if someone in the audience wanted to get in touch with you, either to come talk to their school um, or learn more about the Princess Fables, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Well, I have a website, which is pretty easy to remember. It's princessfables.com. So you can write to me or my publicist there. You can read one of the stories. One of the Princess Fables is up there to read for free. And there's an excerpt from uh, the Royal Fables there as well. Um, but you can order through Amazon, but uh, or you can actually do that through the website. So you can do everything through the website. And we have a blog where we try to keep up to date on what we're doing and where I'm going and things like that. Um, so there's news and stuff about me. Um, and I always like um, for children especially, as long as it as long as their parents are okay with it, to write to me and give me ideas for prince and princess stories. Um, and also for names of princes and princesses. Um, we Actually, one of the names from uh, the princess in, uh, in the royal fables, uh, we got through somebody who was talking to us on Twitter. Uh, we went back and okay. forth with the mom, and, and she was talking about her daughter, and I was saying, oh, I'm just writing a story about uh, an African princess, and, and maybe she had some ideas for names. And we, she gave us the name for one of the princesses in, in the book. So I love getting... So you, yes, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you really provide nice opportunity actually to interact with your audience in another way where they can actually become a part of the building process and the creative process. And I imagine that would be very appealing um, and hopefully... Um, inspire children to listen and to read, uh, maybe even to write themselves. So that's a really nice aspect, I think, of the the um, enterprise that you've um, engaged upon here. That's really nice. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, we try to uh, – it helps to have them involved. You know, now I have, like, classrooms that I can send stories to and get a, an idea if the story is working or what might be wrong with it. And they'll, you know, they they certainly aren't shy about telling me what they think, which is great. <laughs> yes, because it's wonderful <laughs> that way. <laughs> um, and just so the audience also knows, though, it's theprincessfables.com. I've put the link on the description for the show on the Blog Talk Radio site. And when we're done here, I'll also post the show on the show's website, which is kidsatoz.com. So um, this way, if people forget, they could always go back there and contact you or find your website through our website, if that's, if that's helpful to know. Um, but um, let's see. We, we talked about your Christmas story and, and the royal fables. Um, um, I, you know what I like to always talk about? I love to end the show sharing um, my guests' my guests favorite information to share with families. So um, we always ask guests to provide five fantastic facts for families. So can you talk to us about what your five favorite things are to share with families? Um, Sure. Uh, And this has a lot to do with um, what I did and what I continue to do. I feel like distraction is usually the best way to avoid confrontation. Generally, when my children were freaking out or when they were couldn't control themselves or they were so mad that they didn't want to do something, 
the best way to get them off of that track is to show them something else altogether. So, you know, if my daughter didn't want to go to school and I tell her a story about something else, then she forgets that she didn't want to go to school. Um, you know, if they're mad about something and you show them something else or you read them something or you, you know, start dancing around, they forget what they what they were mad about. They're they're easily distracted, which is a, which is kind of a blessing. So that's number one. Um, I tried to do this, although I may not have been great at it. Um, I always try always try to include children in your decisions about them, even if they don't necessarily um, make the decision. If you're saying, well, you know, if you wanted to, if you have to go to the store, you go and they have to go with you. You go, do you think you can help me at the store or should we go to the store first or should we go there? And then they have a, a part of, they feel like they're invested in what they're doing. Whether, they're, whether it's that much of an investment or not doesn't really matter. It's the fact that you include them as opposed to just tell them what to do all the time, I feel like is something strong in parenting. Um, I generally, a third one is don't take a child's refusal to comply too seriously. It's usually um, a cry for attention. I mean, most kids who go who fight you on something really let, prefer fighting than not doing the thing that you're doing that you want them to do. So I try to make things lighter. Um, I do that in general. I think in my life is to lighten things up when somebody's taking stuff too seriously. If there's a huge argument, then I'll try to tell a joke because that'll loosen everything up. So I do that with children too. They're not really that, they're not really always fighting you to, uh, because they don't want to do that particular thing. It's because they want the attention and they want to uh, put their foot down. They want to get some kind of control in their life. Um, so along those same lines, like the fourth one I'd say, is, is to answer arguments with playfulness. So it's the same sort of idea is when they're arguing, then you turn the argument into something fun. So, or you argue them even more so that it seems like, so that they think arguing is funny. Um, and the fifth one um, is that to remember that a child's attention span is really short. So if you engage them um, with, in something else, then most of their troubles will fall by the wayside. They, um, they can easily be distracted, as I said in the beginning. Um, and it's much easier to guide them without confrontation. Um, I think those are kind of rules that I, that I certainly Made with, or lived by, or tried to parent by, for the most part. Yeah, as as a, as a dad, um, those are your 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 tricks of the trade that that work for you. And uh, one of the things that resonated with me as you were talking is that it's it's the time and attention I think um, that you were spending with your children um, that seemed to work, um, which is such a nice thing. Um, so, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show with us. We really appreciate your time and hearing about the wonderful stories you've created uh, and the wonderful lessons they can teach. 
Um, so what we want to do is, before we totally turn off, is ask um, or turn or sign off the air. Is ask our audience to please email us anytime if you have questions that you'd like us to answer, if you have feedback you'd like to share, um, perhaps you have suggestions for show topics you'd like us to address. We always welcome that, and you can email us at info at kidsa-to-z.com. That's info at kidsa-to-z.com. And we hope you'll come back to the Blog Talk Radio site to listen to our, maybe to listen to this episode again, to listen to our archives. You can find that all on our website, too, which is kidsa-to-z.com. And we have a smart toy store there as well where we talk about certain toys and why we like them and how they foster development. But that is all for today, and we thank everybody for listening, and we hope that you have a great rest of your day. 